we are still in Jeremiah. We have, we're more than halfway through, by the way. Uh, we started this back, I believe it was the first week of February. And as of now, the plan is, is that we, it looks like we will be finished by the end of July. And so we are more than halfway through and we are almost there. We have seen a lot happening in Jeremiah. We have seen what, what God has against his people because he is upset with them. Uh, because of their refusal to listen to him, they, they are constantly worshiping other gods. But uh, in addition, they continue to neglect those who are in need. They continue to um, neglect their own kids, even offering them a sacrifice. It's crazy things like that that we have studied. We have seen Jeremiah's heartbreak. We have seen his struggle and inner turmoil that he is open with and verbalizing that. And... Uh, we have seen just an incredible amount of desperation on his part. And simultaneously, we have seen the people of Judah um, just ignore him. The Israelites don't want to hear what he has to say. They, When he speaks, false prophets have risen up and said that he was wrong. And so in the midst of all that, what we're going to look at this morning is that in the midst of that, he had to trust in the Lord. And he couldn't trust his own heart or desires. And the people of Israel shouldn't have been trusting in their heart or desires. They believed what the false prophets said because the false prophets were saying what they wanted to hear. No one wanted to hear that things were going to be difficult or, or hard. And we can experience, we know that experience here in our country recently, right? All around the world uh, where we heard some things were coming and, and we didn't want to hear that. And they came and... Uh, things have been difficult, and hopefully uh, hopefully things are in decline. I hope that. I pray that. I hope things are about to get better. Um, but we, the future is unknown and uncertain. And Jeremiah, their time, they were experiencing something similar. Uh, Jer Jeremiah was saying that God was about to bring punishment, that he was going to send them into exile, uh, take them out of the land that he had given them, and send them into Babylon uh, as, as prisoners, as slaves. And he says all this and Jer through Jeremiah, and the people choose not to believe it. They don't want to hear it. It's bad news. They don't want to hear it. So they listen to the false prophets who are telling them, oh, Jeremiah, he's wrong. God, we're his people. He has chosen us. He has blessed us. Good things are coming. Don't worry about Jeremiah. And so that brings us to Jeremiah 17, which um, is in the heart of so many of uh, the sermons that we have seen and so many of the passages that we have seen. And we're getting close to the transition where we will look at the exile itself, but it hasn't happened at this point in Jeremiah chapter 17. Let's look at God's word together, beginning in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. And on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars in their ashram, beside every green tree and on the hills, on the mountains in the open country, your wealth and all your treasures I will give for spoil as the price of your high places for sin throughout all your territory. So we'll keep reading, but God is saying that what the Israelites have done the sin of Judah is like written in stone. It's obvious. Everyone knows it. 
and he's he's not going to forget this. He's he's not going to spare them. The the time for judgment has come. And so now this is something that is being said and spread around the country. So it takes a little time to come to fruition, as we'll see in a little bit. Um, but Jeremiah has, has said this more than once. And, and we get to verse 4. You shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you. So God has given them this land, this promised land that was promised way back with Abraham and, and again with Moses. And, and, and we've seen that with David, it, it was promised that this land would be in his heritage. And now with David's sin, it was also said that the kingdom would be split and things like that. Uh, but all those covenants that God made with the people were really one covenant that he kept renewing. The people broke it. And he says, you shall loosen your hand from your heritage. So the promises that he had given them were conditional, right? A covenant is two-sided. I will do this and you will do that. That's how a, a contract works, right? And in this case, the people broke their side of the contract. And so God said, you shall loosen your hand from your heritage that I gave to you. And I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. So God is making it clear his anger. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Now there's a lot going on here. The verses that we're about to read are very similar to Psalm 1. If you have some time, I encourage you to go read Psalm 1. There's also this incredible song that Rose and I have discovered recently by a group called Poor Bishop Hooper. And it's just the title of it is Psalm 1. And it's basically Psalm 1 put to music. So I encourage you to check that out. But uh, back in Jeremiah 17, which is reminiscent of Psalm 1, curses the man who trusts in man. We can't trust in man. We can't trust in our own heart. We can't trust in our strength. We can't trust in any of these things because they fail us. How often do men let us down? That's common for us, right? How often does our own strength fail us or our health fail us? How often do does our heart or what we think is right, how often does that fail us? And it's common. We cannot put our trust in man. And specifically in Jeremiah's day, they're putting their trust in what these false prophets are saying. They're putting their trust in their own desires. They, they want to keep doing what they're doing and living life in the way they consider normal and good. Although I'm not sure how you consider some of the things that they were doing good. But they wanted to keep on doing what they were doing. And Jeremiah is saying... You've been doing the wrong thing. You've been trusting in the wrong things. God is going to bring punishment. So let's see what verse 6 says. This, these men who trust in the wrong things. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Now, it might look like the evil prosper currently as we've looked at in the past in Jeremiah. But what is their end? And speaking from an eternal perspective, once our life here on earth is over, for those who have put their trust in men and all these other things in their own hearts, they're going to be let down. And we as Christians, we should have enough love and, 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 and just 
a desire to honor God and obey Him and His creation, enough love for other men and mankind that we would share His love and share His hope and share His truth with others so that they can put their trust in Him before it's too late. Which brings us to verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Now, look, this is something, this is a great verse to put on some home decor, right? To put on a pillow, place it on your couch. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord, or whose trust is the Lord. And, and so this is a great verse. And lots of times we are guilty as Christians of taking verses like this out of context and just, here's a memory verse. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. It's so easy to trust God. Just trust him. You'll be blessed. It's that easy. But we can't take verses like this out of context. It's dangerous. And it, and it can give us a, a false understanding of who God is. But also, and I think in the case of this, it, it would it be more probable that it gives us a false understanding of how we think we should respond to disaster or respond to turmoil or friction or sadness or whatever the case may be. Because we need to remember who is writing this. It's the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, sure, he is saying, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Of course he's saying that. He says verses like this all the time. This is a common saying throughout Scripture. But what we cannot forget, we cannot forget that this is happening in the midst of Jeremiah suffering, in the midst of him being in despair. He is constantly crying out to God. We'll see it more in this chapter as we continue studying it. We will see that there are time and time again, that there are times when Jeremiah cries out to God and asks him for rescue. He asks him for help. And so, yes, blessed is the man who trusts, or sorry, blessed is the man who trusts the Lord. Yes, that, that is true. It, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. That is true. But sometimes we have a we define trust in a way that biblically it was never meant to be defined. A lot of times we simply look at people who God has graced or gifted with incredible faith where they never seem to be shaken even in chaotic times and no matter what's going on they're just you know, well, I trust God. Here we go. Let's do this. Um, but that is a special gift of faith. Not everyone is designed like that. In fact, what's more common in Scripture is that there are people who are in despair, the very men that God called to lead, the very men and women who God called to be his voice to the people or to do this or to do that or to be a queen who is leading in, in this situation or whatever. You can go through all these different people in Scripture and what you will find is that the most common uh, experience is that the people who are called to trust God have a difficult time doing so. They look around them and they see the despair and they see the hurt and they see the pain and they have to choose, choose to have faith despite what they see around them. I would even go as far to say that, th that people who have that experience know more about faith and trust than those who it comes easily and naturally for. Take Jesus, for example. 
when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was asking the Father, if there is any way, please take this cup from me. And he is so intense and so zoned in and so stressed that he is sweating blood. I would say that that is evidence that you can be in the midst of despair, have great concern, truly want a different outcome than what you see coming, and still be a man of faith, right? I mean, if, if, if it was okay for Jesus, it's okay for us. And we look at Jeremiah, and sure, he says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Hey, I got that verse right that time. Uh, sure, that, that is what he's saying, but we can't remove that verse, place it on a pillow, and forget the context of despair. Trust is most important when things look hopeless. Trust is most important in times of despair. And trust doesn't always look like, well, okay, well, let's just move on. Let's just keep going. Trust sometimes looks like you crying your eyes out and you begging God for an alternative outcome but whatever he desires, we trust. If there's any way, let this cup pass. But if not, right, Jesus took the cup. He drank from it. He went all the way to death. And that's where we have to be. We don't have to want to die or look forward to taking risk or danger. But if that's what God has called us to, then we trust him. And we keep moving forward. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. It, this, again, just reminds you of Psalm 1. Uh, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, right? Because this tree planted by water, it, it has water to come. Even when the heat comes, there's going to be water there from the stream. And he has roots. He's solid. He has a foundation. Who's his foundation? Of course, the Lord. The, the one who, who trusts in the Lord, his foundation is the Lord. So he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, there are times and time again in Scripture where something like this is said, and it's easier said than done. And we see this in the evidence of the life of the prophet who is saying it, right? Because God chose Jeremiah to be his mouthpiece and to experience this great uh, job and task in the midst of suffering, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of people not wanting to hear it, not listening to him, ignoring him, and the punishment coming despite what Jeremiah, uh, his warnings. And, and so Jeremiah is saying these words of trust and saying these words of, of what this man is like who trusts in the Lord uh, in the midst of him struggling with trust himself. So, again, easier said than done. We have to have faith in God. We have to put our trust in Him. Um, but it's not always easy. But when we do it, we can be assured that He will not let us down. 
that when the drought comes, and the drought has come for Jeremiah, that the stream is still there to water us, that God is still there, even if there appears to be no rain falling, even when it appears that the very things that we wish wouldn't happen are happening. And Jeremiah himself has to remember this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So I don't think it's a coincidence that he moves from talking about trusting God back to we can't trust the heart. We all have desires, every single one of us. And we were just told it in, in what we just read that we're to not be anxious. And, and, and when we trust in our heart and our desires and things don't go the way that we want them to, we can't help but to be anxious because we see that what we thought was going to happen is not happening. The plans that we made are being disrupted and that's happening for all of us right now. And I know that, that concern and anxiety, there's a thin line between them. Concern can be healthy, right? For example, I am not concerned about dying. I know what's going to happen to me when I die, right? Now, I do have concern about if I were to die, what that would mean for Rose and the kids. Of course, I would be foolish not to have that concern. Um, but I also trust that God will take care of them, right? I don't have concern that I will get COVID-19. I mean, I don't want to suffer. Of course, no one does. But if that happened, then it happens. But I do have concern that I would get COVID-19 and, and then get someone else sick. I don't want to give someone else uh, the coronavirus who might die because I care about their lives. And I don't overvalue life on this earth. I feel like I have a biblical given perspective and value for life on this earth. And what I know is that I don't know people's eternities. I don't know if they've put their faith in God. And so I don't want to risk getting people sick. Of course, we all have to take risk at times and we can't uh, completely do away with risk. That's just not possible. But I want to... Listen to what uh, people are reasonable experts who know about these things are saying. I want to listen to them and take their advice as long as it's reasonable and, and valuable. I want to take that because I don't want to get others sick who then die and possibly spend an eternity in hell if they don't know Jesus. And so should I be concerned about getting others sick? I think, yes. I think concern is proper. I think what man builds a building without first counting the cost, right? And looking at it from a New Testament perspective. Of course, we should be concerned with the future and all that, but we shouldn't worry. We shouldn't give our concern over to anxiety. We shouldn't give our concern over to fear. We should be smart. We should take precautions and, and be concerned in that manner but we shouldn't have fear. And, and what happens when concern moves to anxiety is we begin to, to give our concern over to our, our, our heart, 
our feelings, our emotions, and that can be dangerous. I'm not saying the emotions are bad. They are very healthy and they help us to see how we truly think and work and, and things like that. But we need to make sure that we don't allow our emotions to control us, our fear and our anxiety to control us. And similarly here in verse 9, we can't trust our heart and our wants and our desires to be what guides us in life. So if we're not trusting our hearts and what we want, then what are we trusting? Well, in this case, in Jeremiah 17, we're trusting the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And so we have to make sure that we're going back to putting our trust in God. That anytime we flee from that or fall away from that, that we go back, that we repent, we ask God for forgiveness, and we put our trust in Him. And so what do we do during this time? There are people who, like me, have concern, and then there are people who think this is all foolish and are going to do their own thing. They're, we're all over the map on what we think and what we desire. Well, we have to put our trust in God. And when that when I say that, I don't mean just put our trust in God for what we want. I mean we have to take into the whole counsel of God's word. How do we trust him in the midst of chaos? This book, Jeremiah, helps us to see that because Jeremiah is having to do that. And we can't trust our heart or our wants or our desires. We have to trust what God says. And God says that we should value life, not Put more value on this life than eternity, but this life affects eternity. And so we have to value life. I'm not saying we should strive to stay alive at all costs. I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't be concerned about the economy or things like that. But we trust God even in the midst of chaos. And we act wisely. The heart is deceitful above all things. How many times in our lives... Have we done what we really wanted to do? And that's gotten us into trouble. I'm not saying that sometimes what we want doesn't line up with God because obviously there are lots of times when we desire what God desires, therefore our heart is desiring the right thing. But we can't always trust our heart because it can be deceptive. And when we're saying heart here, uh, we're talking about our desires, our what our mind and, and, and emotions are, are working together to create in us, you know, I think most of you understand what I mean by, or what Jeremiah is saying here, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick, right? We, we're still affected by sin. And so there are times when our heart is wanting things, even for the best Christian, there are times when our heart wants things that God doesn't want, that God doesn't desire. And then there are times when our heart wants things that God definitely doesn't desire. And we know that our heart is sick. Who can understand what's going on in our heart? Who can understand what's going on with our emotions and our mind and all of this? And so we can't put our trust in our heart or our desires. We have to put our trust in the Lord. Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. God knows what's in our heart. He knows what's in our mind. And so according to what our, our actions are, that kind of proves what's in our heart, right? Um, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks is a verse. And, and what that means is what's inside of us probably will make its way to our tongue and out and it becomes an outward action. And so there are times when it's evident what our heart wants and thinks and it, because our actions mimic that. 
But there are also times when that's not so clear, but it's clear to God. Because I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, I'm so glad that we live in the New Testament age where Jesus has already come and he has forgiven us for our sins and our trespasses for those who put their faith and trust in him. And here in Jeremiah, we're seeing some that God is judging according to the law and he is judging according to what's in the heart. And we just read in the last verse that the heart is wicked. And we know that according to the New Testament, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so if God is going to judge according to the law, we're all in trouble. And so thankfully, the New Testament is coming. And we will see. We have already seen that prophesied and predicted in uh, Jeremiah. And we will see it more. Uh, but I'm glad that I'm not given what I deserve because I deserve a hell just as much as anybody else. Um, but... That this isn't just talking about in eternity. I mean, look at life. There are times, not always on this side of eternity, but there are often times when we get what's coming to us, when we get what we deserve. And that's because the Lord works in that way, sometimes on this side of eternity, always according to uh, his righteous judgment. There, there will be, that will come for all of us. And, and we, if we're relying on our works or our heart, we're going to be in trouble. That's why it's so important for us to put our faith and trust in God, specifically uh, according to New Testament theology, which we fall under now, to put our trust in Jesus for salvation so that we can be born again, so that we can uh, trust him to cover our sins on the, as he did on the cross rather than us paying for them now. Um, but God's saying here in verse 10 for the people there in Judah, he's going to judge according to the fruit of their deeds, which isn't good for them. Verse 11, like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches by, but, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him. And at the, at his end, he will be a fool. And so he's saying, look, people who take what's not rightfully theirs, they're going to be judged. We can look around now. We know that there are dishonest people. There are people who are just out to, to make a buck. There are people who are out to, to uh, make a better life for, them, for themselves, which that in itself isn't bad. But when you do it at the expense of others, that is bad. When you do it at the expense of what God desires and what he has called us to do, that is not good. And justice is coming. And by the way, at the end of this life, we can't take our riches with us. And they do not help us any in eternity. So why spend our lives in the pursuit of something that is just going to rot, that we can't take with us? And so that's the point that's being made here. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. So where is our hope? Is it in what we're seeing around us? Is it in the fact that uh, unjust men are getting wealthy all around us? No. Our hope is in God. Our hope and trust is in God and in heaven, in eternity. We, what we do here affects that. So we should live honorable lives here and we should trust God here. Of course, we, we want to make a positive impact on the people around us. We want to see more people in heaven and less people in hell. We want to see more people forgiven. We, we want to have the heart of Jesus who did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. The world was already condemned. 
we can, we've condemned ourselves with sin. And so Jesus came to save the world, and we as Christians should have that same desire to spread his love among the nations, to spread his love around our neighbors. And right now, uh, I have seen some incredible acts of service and love from our church and in our community. I have seen people go above and beyond. I mean, just today we had some eggs show up on our front door. And so we're so appreciative of people in our community and family and friends and in our church who have, have been serving us and who we have served. We're so grateful for that. But I've also seen chaos. I've seen anger. I've seen pain. I've seen hurt. I've seen it spewing out of people. I've seen it in myself at times. And, and our hope is not in the temporary. Our hope is not in our government. Our hope is not in this sickness going away. Our hope as Christians is in the Lord and in eternity. And so we have to persevere in the current in order to, to see God glorified in incredible ways. He knows what he's doing in these moments. He knows what he's working out. And, and that might not have made sense to Jeremiah in his time. Why would God take away the promised land? Why would he lead the people into exile? Why would he punish them like that? Jeremiah had these questions. But God knew what he was doing. He knew he was bringing revival to his people. He knew what he was doing, that he was purifying them through the fire. And he can do the same thing with us today. So our hope is not in this earthly place or in earthly events or in the desires of our heart, our hope is in the Lord and in eternity. O Lord, the hope of Israel. So listen to what Jeremiah is saying here, right? His hope is God, right? O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord the fountain of living water. We have to trust him. And if you're watching this and you know you have not been putting your hope in the Lord, you know you have not been treating your neighbors the way that you should, whatever the case might be, put your hope in him now before it is too late. Because for all who forsake God, all who forsake his offer, free gift of salvation, there will be judgment. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. Let's look at these, these two verses. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Our trust and our hope is in the Lord. We have to trust him during these times. And then the second verse we saw, verse 15. Behold, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. The people around Jeremiah are saying, hey, you keep saying this. You keep making these prophecies. But where, where are your prophecies happening? And at this point in time, they had not. But they are going to come. And it's going to be very soon, in fact, for the people of Jeremiah. And today, some people might say that. You put your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus who said he's going to return. Well, where is he? Well, one day he will return. And when he does, it will be too late to do anything about your eternity. Just as for the Israelites who are not trusting here, once the judgment comes, which is very soon, time will be up. 
And so people might be saying, where's the word of the Lord? And they're saying, where's the outcome of what you've been saying is going to happen? Let it come. They're taunting him. They don't believe him. Verse 16. I have not run away from being your shepherd, nor have I desired the day of sickness. You know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. So Jeremiah is saying, look, I'm here. I'm your shepherd. I, I, I'm... I'm persevering. I'm trying. I'm living for you. I love you. I haven't desired the day of sickness. You you know what came out of my lips. It was before your face. He's saying, I haven't desired all this. I haven't necessarily desired pain, but I've persevered. And, and God, you know what came out of my lips. You put that in me. And it came out. And so he's saying, I know they're saying that there's, I don't have any hope, but I trust in you. And the very things that they're saying are not going to come to fruition. I know they will because you're the ones who gave those things to me to say. And you're the witness. of It was before your face. You're the witness of what I said. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. We're getting close to the conclusion here. But how often does it feel like our very pain? The very things we're trying to avoid in life, the very things that we don't want to experience, oftentimes it feels like they come straight from God. And, and sometimes, that, I mean, that's because God is in control and he can allow pain. He can allow suffering. He, he does allow it. He can cause it, right? Be not a terror to me. Jeremiah is saying to God, I, I need your help. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm putting my faith in you. You are my refuge in the day, the day of disaster. But the refuge sometimes feels like a terror. Maybe you can look around you right now and you feel that way. You trust God, but you also know like he has allowed this. If he wanted to snap his fingers and cause a virus to go away, he can. If he wanted to snap his finger and fingers and cause cancer to go away, he could. If he wanted to snap his fingers, and all your bills be paid, he could do that. So why doesn't he? I don't have all the answers for that, but we have to trust in God. And when we trust in God, our roots go out by that stream, and we're held faithful and steady, and the leaves are green even in the drought. We have to trust him. Now, if I'm honest, I have a hard time with this. My leaves probably start turning brown because my roots aren't as close to that stream as they need to be. I'm not trusting in God as I should. It's been difficult. There, there are times in my life where all I could do was cry out to God for help. There were times when I had the intention to go and pray and say these uh, excellent words that I've prepared to say before God. And all I can get out are tears or groans or God help me. Sometimes life is desperate. But God has grown us through those moments. He's grown us through this moment. We have to trust him. And I don't want to be hypocritical and say that, this, oh, just you know, trust in God. Because that's not me. I trust in God. But it's through the tears. It's through the pain. It's through the suffering. It's hard. It's not easy. Just like it was not easy for Jeremiah. Be not a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let those be put to shame who persecute me. 
but let me not be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but let me not be dismayed. Bring upon them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Now, there are times in Scripture where people cry out and say things that if they were exactly how they should be with God, they might not be saved. For example, would these be the words of Jesus? Jesus would probably say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? As he said on the cross about the people who were killing him. But what we have to realize is, is that as humans, Jesus was fully human too, but he was God. He never sinned. We are sinners. As humans who have put our faith in him, in Jesus, in God, and, and trust him, for our salvation and strive to live like him, that does not mean that we won't have moments where we look around us and we feel intense anger toward the people around us. When we feel scared and frightened by what we see, while we say, let those be put to shame who persecute me. Because we are desperate and, and our hearts can be deceitful above all things. Our hearts can bring out things that aren't good, that are wicked. And so I don't know that that's the case here for Jeremiah, but I do find it interesting that I think Jesus would handle this in a different way. And so when we look at what Jeremiah is going through, I think that we're, the way we should take this is that he was just a man who was going through intense suffering, and what was coming out in this moment was affected by his suffering. It's affected by where his heart was in that moment. And he knew he should trust the Lord. He knew that his leaves should be green. He knew all those things that we read earlier. But in reality, putting that into practice can be difficult. For us, the same can be true. And we can look to Jesus and we can see him suffering. We can see him in the garden asking for his cup to pass and know that what we experience, he has experienced too. But we can also know that, that Jesus forgave those who were crucifying him. And if we're not able to do that, we go to God and we ask him to forgive us and we ask him to help us to become that person because we cannot be more mature than what we are. So we ask God to help us to mature in that person. And that might be part of why we're going through the suffering that we're going through so that he can help transform us into that, into a type of the type of person who can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But sometimes when we go to God, we say, let those be put to shame who persecute me. Sometimes when we go to him, we say, why are you doing this to me, God? Sometimes when we go to him, what comes out is not pretty. But what's important is that we go to him. And when those things come out, we should repent. But we should also be honest with him. He already knows what's in our heart. He sees inside of us, as we talked about earlier. So be honest with him. And when those things come out, confess them as sins and ask him to help you to become the man or the woman that you need to be. Let's ask him to do that for us right now. God help us. Lord, we ask that you would just be with us because when we come to you in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our chaos and in the midst of our trouble, it's so easy to just trust our hearts and our desires and our wants and to not trust you. Help us to put our trust in the Lord because we know we can't trust our hearts. Lord, help us to put our trust in you. Help us to turn to you 
And God, when we come to you in our honesty and in our pain and things come out that, that are ugly, Lord, we confess those things to you. We ask you to forgive us and we ask you to transform us, to sanctify us and help us to become men and women who don't have that in us, who, who are able to say, Father, forgive them. Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us in the midst of this pain and chaos right now in, in our country, and our world, that you would help us to love others above all. We can't control a virus. There are things that we can do to help, but we can't control that. We can't always control who gets sick or who dies, but we can trust you. And we can love others. And so help us to love others. Help us to not be frustrated with people who have a difference of opinion than we do. Help us to love them despite those differences. Help us to be one. Help us to be a united church who is coming to you with our frustrations of this current time and who is we're trusting you. Help us to be like a tree planted by the stream whose roots grow out to the water, whose leaves remain green and trust you during the drought. Help us to come to you and trust you even when the world around us is chaotic and falling apart. And help us to not put our trust in ourselves. Help us to not trust men who we shouldn't be trusting. Help us to not trust the deceitful desires of our heart, but help us to trust you. And Lord, we ask you to transform our desires into your desires. Whatever you desire, help that be our desire so that when we chase after what our heart wants, we're chasing after what you want. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. This is a chaotic time and a crazy time. And I know that um, different ones of us are experiencing this in different ways. If you need our church, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, I love you guys and be blessed.